So Peter, tell me how the training's been going. I, okay, I'm not gonna sugarcoat this, mm -hmm. Dina. I'm getting tired, and I'm getting tired fairly quickly. Oh, okay. There's like no oxygen around, and I feel like when I need it, it just disappears. Oh, okay, um, let me ask you this. What's your diet like? Uh, diet? What do you mean? Like, what are the foods that you've been eating? Because if you're not eating healthy food, then it might be slowing you down. Okay. I was under the impression mm -hmm. that when I purchased your personal training services, mm -hmm. at a very reasonable discount, I must say, through Groupon, that I was basically going to eat what I wanted because I was working out, and that your job was to tell me how great I'm doing. Okay, okay. Not exactly. Um, so they kind of go hand in hand. Um, if you're not putting in good stuff into your body, you're not gonna feel very good. So let me let me do this. Have you ever considered a detox? Are you trying to poison me? No. Um, a detox is sort of just a juice cleanse. So you needs another name, but yeah, go on. Okay. Um, so it works to get all that gunk out, so you can start fresh with new healthy eating habits. Okay, but of course I have gunk, but you don't. No, I um, okay. I just I, I eat well, but you know this is really important for you. You just gotta clean it out, okay, okay. and then you start healthy. How about this? Mm -hmm. Let's just not waste each other's time. Whatever you're saying. Okay, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you this. You give it a try. But it's really important when you're done that you don't go back to the unhealthy eating habits because it'll just be all naked. Okay, you're just gonna. So it's it's really simple. Okay. There you go. All right, Peter. This is a good start. Welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Great to see so many faces, some new faces here today. If you're just joining us here today for the first time, you're coming in the middle of a series. It's called Spiritual Sweat 2. We're on part four, but you can always get caught up with the episodes that you missed by going to our website at the uh, stsa.church. You can just click on the well. And you can get caught up with the first three parts in this series because what we are doing is we are getting into shape. All right, and not physical shape as much as spiritual shape. That's why it's called spiritual sweat. And for those who have been with us for the past few weeks, what we've been kind of talking about is some difficult things. We've been looking at how to get back in shape spiritually, and it's been kind of rough for some people, and many people told me the last couple weeks the message is kind of hitting in some difficult places and challenging me in areas I didn't really want to talk about or look at. But that's kind of the point of the series. Like the only way to get in shape is to do something that's difficult. You're not going to get your body into shape without pushing yourself and putting a little sweat in, a little effort, and you're not going to get your spirit in shape either unless you're willing to dig deeper. So maybe at the beginning I said this might be hard, and we thought, yeah, yeah how hard could it be? It's just spiritual stuff. He's going to tell us to pray more or whatever, but we're really kind of digging deep. We're asking ourselves questions. The first two weeks we looked at two pillars of our spiritual lives, which are humility and honesty. Humility and honesty, and humility knowing who I am and I am dust, and I am humus, that's where the word humility comes from, and to dust, dust I came from, and to dust I shall return. And then last week we looked at honesty, and not just who I am, but what's on the inside of this dust and this humus. And a lot of us this past week, we asked ourselves some questions, and it was difficult answers that we found. It's not fun discovering these negative things about ourselves. But what I wanted to do today before we jump into the message, I always like at the halfway point of the series, which is where we are right now, 
to remind ourselves of the goal, to remind ourselves of why it is that we're doing this. Because when things get tough, like our, our friend up there and trying to get in shape, okay, in the middle of the, of the workout and then after session three with the personal trainer, you're inclined to say, enough is enough. This is crazy. I don't like this stuff. And that's why you got to kind of remember why is it we're doing this. This is like the girl who's got always the wedding dress, the picture of the wedding dress. She hangs out in front of her, and anytime she wants to eat, she remembers, I got to fit in that thing by May, whatever. Okay, so it's kind of keeping in mind, I got to get to that goal. I got to get to that goal. What we said is kind of our goal for this series came from Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. We said fallow ground is the soil that used to be fertile, but has become hardened over time because of lack of use. And we said for us, our hearts are kind of that way. Our spirits are that way. That there used to be a time where we were on fire for God. And we used to come to church expectantly. We used to show up to prayer waiting for what God is going to say. We used to love to dig into our Bibles. Like we used to be in shape. Then what, what, what happened? Complacency settled in. Apathy settled in. Kind of distractedness. And now the ground has become hardened soil. And we said, no, we don't need that. We need to break up that fallow ground. And that's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. Why? Because he is going to come. And he is going to drop the seed. And if our soil is ready, there'll be great fruit awaiting us. We're in a period of Lent right now. And Lent is not really a goal in and of itself. Lent is a period of preparation for the most sacred time of year, which is Holy Week and going into Easter. So we're in a period of preparation. And I guarantee you that there's going to be a sacred time of Holy Week. And I guarantee you during that time, it's the most important week of the year where we celebrate the salvation that was given to us. And I guarantee you during that time, seeds will be dropped. I guarantee you seeds will be dropped. The question that I have for you is, will, will your soil be ready? And that's what we're doing here in this series, is making sure that the soil is ready so when the gardener comes, when the sower comes and plants the seed, that we can bear fruit in our lives. Because God is going to come, and he is going to drop the seed. Last week, like I said, we had some hard stuff. And in case you're saying, like, enough is enough, I can't take this hard stuff, one of the things that we talked about last week, which we're going to remember throughout this series, is that God doesn't heal what I don't admit. Okay, that's what we talked about last week. And the picture that we drew last week is a picture of going to the doctor. If I don't go to the doctor and expose my illness, I cannot find healing. And that's kind of what this series is. But if you've been doing that, I got good news for you today. I read a great passage in my personal Bible reading this past week that I had to share with you. It's kind of long, but it's so good. And you're going to see how great this is. If you've been doing this honesty thing and last week you did it right. Look what it says here. It's Ezekiel chapter 18, starting in verse 21. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins. We always think the Old Testament is just negative, negative, negative. Don't do this, don't do this. Watch this negative. If a wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and he keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Isn't that nice? Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. There's that word again. Look what God says. God says, let's be logical. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. God is saying, you think that I'm telling you that you're bad because I want to yell at you and I want you to feel bad? I'm trying to heal you. The doctor doesn't say you have cancer. Say, ha, 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 you have. The, God, the doctor says you have cancer to bring you healing. And when God is the same way, he's not telling us about our wickedness to make us feel bad. He's telling us about it so that we can repent and we can live. Goes on. It says, repent and turn from all your transgressions so that the iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. 
For why should you die, O house of Israel? Insert your name there. Why should you die? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Therefore, turn and live. And that is the perfect segue to part four, our message here for today, the third kind of spiritual habit or virtue that we need to talk about. Turn and live equals repentance. That's what we're going to talk about today. And today, last two weeks, we've been kind of talking about introspection, studying yourself, what's going on on the inside. Well, today, the rubber meets the road. And today, it's time to do something about it. And it's time to take some action. And that is, or said another way, it's time to turn and live and that is through repentance. What is repentance? If you had to come up with a definition of repentance, repentance is kind of one of those words like humility a couple weeks ago. We use it all the time. We kind of define it different ways. Some of us think repentance means to confess our sins, which is very good. Some of us think repentance means to cry, and you have to have tears of repentance. Some of us think repentance means to simply just acknowledge what I have done. Some of us think repentance is a feeling or an emotion. Well, I tell you that repentance may have all of those things, it may involve all those things, but it is much bigger and is much greater. Said another way, you can confess and never repent. You can have, you can repent and never have a feeling or emotion or a tear. Repentance is much bigger and much better than an emotion or a feeling or even a statement that you say. Repentance is much bigger. Usually, we confuse repentance with sorrow or guilt or shame. So we say, you know what? I did this bad thing. I don't really feel sorry about it. So therefore I can't repent. Is repentance and sorrow the same thing? We're going to turn to a passage from St. Paul, second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter seven, starting verse nine. He tells us the two kinds of repentance that we kind of think about. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. So he makes a distinction. There's sorrow and then there's repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Salvation, another way of saying life. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. God wants us to repent. God wants us to confess. God likes it when we have tears. God likes it when we have those emotions. Those are all great, but those are all means to an end. And whether or not you have those things, what God really wants is to give us life. Repentance is not just about confession. Repentance is not about a feeling. Repentance is about life and death. We think, sorry to say, we think we do God a favor when we repent. We think we're doing him a favor. Like, okay, God, all right, all right, all right. I'll repent, but you owe me. I'm gonna go repent on Saturday and I better get something good on Monday. We think that we are doing him a favor. I always liken repentance. Repentance is for your soul what a shower is for your body. When you take a shower after not showering for a long time, you're doing a favor Number one, for yourself, and number two, for the people who are close around you. Repentance is the same way. You're not doing God a favor. You being stinky every single day for the rest of your life doesn't affect God's sweetness. Like your stink 
cannot make him stink. Like you can stink over there. God does not make him stinky in any way. You showering your soul is only helping yourself. And again, the people around that you want to be in your life. Repentance is not about, like so many other things, repentance is not about what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. Repentance is not about what God wants from us. It's about what God wants for us. He doesn't want death. He doesn't want sorrow. He doesn't want shame. He doesn't want guilt. He doesn't want ruin. What he wants is life. And the path to life is repentance. That's why we're going to give our working definition of what is repentance. The Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia. And the word metanoia, if you kind of distill it down to what does it really mean, it means change. Repentance means change. Metanoia, meta always means change or transformation, like metamorphosis. So it means the change of a person, a person changing. And you can see here the literal definition of the word metanoia. It means a change in one's way of life resulting from penitence or conversion. And why I put this down here, the word repentance, I have bad news for you. The word repentance, as it is used originally in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the early church, the first century, was a lot more about penitence and, I'm sorry, about change from conversion, not from penitence. You know what the difference is? Change from conversion means someone who's walking this way and then he finds Christ and he changes his life night and day. Okay, complete change, a complete U-turn. And then what happened is eventually the word got transformed for us to mean minor changes, minor adjustment, minor repentance. But that's not the way the word was originally meant. You see, back when St. Paul talked about repentance, back when the early church was first started in the first century, being a Christian meant signing a death sentence for yourself because Christianity was a persecuted minority. And anyone who was a Christian was at risk of losing their life, losing their job, losing their family, losing everything, including their wife and children. Being a Christian, repenting, was about saying, you know what, this is so important to me that I'm willing to change everything about my life. And oftentimes when people repented, it meant they changed their jobs because there were certain jobs and ways of life that were not conducive, that were not meshing with Christianity. Oftentimes they meant leaving their relationship, oftentimes getting cut off from their family, their inheritance. That's the kind of conversion, that's the kind of change that means the word repentance means. We have dumbed it down and watered it down to mean, I'm like, okay, and I need to repent to move from here to here, or here to here. But what repentance really means is a complete change, a change in lifestyle, not just an adjustment. For us, I want to take this idea of change, and I want to break it down into two kinds of change. Okay, you can take repentance. Repentance, like I said, is a big topic. It means a change, but I want to break it down into two kinds of change. The first change starts up here. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance begins in the mind. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance has to begin in your mind because that's where sin begins. Every sin, every sinful action began with a sinful thought. Nobody walks into a bank and says, hey, I'm just gonna rob this bank. That's not how it happens. What happened is the person got a thought to say, I wish I had more money. Person got a thought to say, you know what? I can see uh, a way to rob this bank right here. Person got a thought that says, you know what? I bet you I wouldn't get thought. Sin begins in the mind, so therefore it must be dealt with in the mind. No one cheats on his wife, just all of a sudden says, you know what? Ran into a lady. Oh, since you're here, not, that's not how it works. People cheat on their wives or on their husbands because they get a thought to say, well, she's kind of pretty, or he's kind of funny, or he's not as fat as my husband. 
or he's not as bald as my husband, or he's much nicer to his kids than my husband is to his kids. It always begins with a thought. Every sinful action begins with a sinful thought. So therefore, we must deal with sin at the thought level and not at the action level. The reason why so many of us struggle with the same sin over and over and over is you get down to the root of it. We haven't addressed it at this level, just at this level. And I'll give you an easy example. An example, I see this all the time because I take confessions from all kinds of different people. And you know how you know when someone apologizes to you, and I'm not saying confession is to me, but I'm just a witness to it. You know when someone apologizes to you, you can tell if they're sincere or not sincere, right? Like you can tell. If they really mean it or they just need to say I'm sorry, you can tell. Well, I'm telling you that God can tell as well. Sometimes people come, same sinful act. Let's say someone gets drunk. College kid, young adult, whatever it may be, still living the college life, whatever. And he goes out and gets drunk. Some people can come and say, you know what? I confess, I sinned, I drank too much. And they know the drinking is wrong, so they confessed. Another person come in and say, you know what? I hate this sin. I can't stop it. Every time I think I have control of it, I end up going back into it, and it's killing me, and it's killing my relationships, and it kills my ability to connect with God. I hate this sin. This sin is killing me. I repent of this sin. Are those two the same? They both said the same thing. They both repented. They both confessed the same sin. But the difference is, one of the two, even though he confessed it with his mouth, he believes that it's wrong, but he doesn't believe that it's that wrong. He believes that it's wrong, and he shouldn't do it, and he should probably cut down a little bit, but in the end, yeah, went in Rome, live a little. Versus the other guy believed that this thing is the death of my life. And this thing is going to kill me. And what I'm saying is, the reason why we struggle with sin over and over and over and over and over again is because sometimes, not all the time, not all the time, but sometimes, we haven't really repented. We haven't really changed our mind. We haven't really said, I hate this sin. The sin is killing me. I hate the sin. We haven't really said that I wish this sin was out of my life. I always tell people, if I could give you a button, I could give you a button. You have to be honest. If I gave you a button that says, push this button, and this thing will never come back in my life, sometimes we have to be honest, we wouldn't push the button. If I gave you a button that says, push this button, and this thing will never come back to you again, a lot of us wouldn't push that button. And maybe we haven't truly repented in that case. Example, I lost my temper again. I lost my temper again. You're not really convinced that losing your temper is the problem. You're convinced that she's the problem. And you just know that that's not how you should respond. But in the end, you really think it's really her. And you know, I lost my temper again. But you're not really convinced it's a problem. Gossip. I gossiped again. I know I shouldn't do that. But you're not really convinced that gossip is cancer to you and your family and your friendship. And you are bringing cancer into the workplace. That you, when God looks down at the workplace and sees this bad environment, that you are talking about all the time, that you may be the primary cause. Give you another one. The one I hear every Sunday. Father Anthony, I came late to church today. So, like, what do I care? I came on time. Like, what do I care when you came? It becomes just a, like, you know what? You know what? I don't really care if I come late, but the procedure is I just go, I tell him I came late, and then I go forward as usual. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, shows us the change of mind that we all need, and it's continuing the theme that we saw from Ezekiel. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is, say it with me, the wages of sin is death. You know what you need to do? You know what you need to do? Change your verbiage. Change your language. And stop saying sin is bad. Stop saying sin is wrong. Sin is death. Sin is not wrong. Anytime someone comes to me and say, you know, I do this, I know it's wrong. It's not wrong. 
I don't care about right and wrong. Is it death for you? Sin is a lion. It's not that I say, you know what, my children, you know what, it's wrong to play with lions. It's not wrong to play with lions. It's deadly to play with lions. It's not that, you know what, try to be a good boy and leave the lion alone. Just No, it's not be a good boy and leave the lion alone. It's I'm telling you because I love you, I want you to live. If you play with a lion, you will die. Lions, if you lock yourself in a room with a lion, only one of those two is walking out. Either you kill him or he kills you. Same, as this, same with sin, to be honest. Sin is the same way. It's more deadly than a lion. You can't drink poison and it not be killed. It's not a matter of it's good or not bad or calories. It's a matter of it's poison, it's death. Sin is not wrong. Sin is deadly. And we need to change the way that we look at it. So you know what I do? I'm annoying. When someone comes to me and confesses a sin, I don't think that they have really repented. Like I said, let's say someone says, you know, I gossip or I envy or I judge. And I say, why is that bad? And they say, you told us it's bad. But I want you to tell me, why is it bad? Like, let's say the person never finds out that you judge them. Who cares? It's a victimless crime, right? Tell me why envy is bad. Like, I want you to think about it. And I want you to extrapolate down the line. If I live a judgmental life, where am I going to end up? Don't just look at it in isolation. We need to change the way we think about sin. Sin isn't wrong. Sin is deadly. Sin doesn't affect our life. Sin ruins our life. Sin doesn't put a, 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 a distance between me and God. Sin puts an uncrossable chasm between me and God. I heard a preacher one time say, sin, he was basically saying, he was saying the reason why we don't change our mind about sin is because sin is fun, okay? And we like sin, and sin is fun. And he was saying basically if, if you don't think sin is fun, you're probably not doing it right, okay? Because sin is fun, okay? But the idea is not that it's not fun. Like I'm not trying to tell you sin is not fun. I'm telling you that sin has long-term consequences for you beyond the fun. And that's why we stop because we know that, yes, it's a little fun, but the harm totally outweighs the good. So he was saying that sin is kind of like a sneeze. When you sneeze, it feels great at the time, but then it's not all over the place. So sin for your soul is like a sneeze. It feels good and you got it out, but in the end, a lot more cleanup is necessary. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says this. Each one is tempted when when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We must learn to fight sin in our head, at the desire level, at the temptation level. Every thought that tempts, every thought that is sinful, that's what we call temptation. And when this thought gets in there, that's when the time is to nip it in the bud. If you have a tree that is bothering you and it's poisonous, if you cut off the branch without cutting out the roots, it's just going to grow right back in. So for you to try to cut off the branches of sin without going to the root of sin is a futile effort. How are we going to do that? How we cut off sin at the root? Well, I'll tell you with each change a practical way that I think that you can attack this kind of area. And I will say that if you want to judge sin at the mind level, at the thought level, the critical practice for you, I must commit to the Word of God. I must commit. I didn't say read the Word of God, because there are many of us who read without being committed. I didn't say open up your phone and read the verse of the day on the Metro for thir 13 seconds. I didn't say get the email devotional from Our Daily Bread and just kind of read them all at the end of the week and say I'm committed to the Word of God. There's a difference between reading the Word of God and commit my life to the word of God, that this is the foundation of my life, 
And that's the kind of investment that we need. Going back to our lovely video that we saw earlier, that to try to do exercise without changing your diet is worthless. And that's where many of us are. We think that, right, don't we all do this, that I exercise today, therefore I can eat double at lunch. That's what we do. That's why we all look the way we look, right? To do the same spiritually, I'm going to cut this, but I'm going to keep when I'm going to keep my diet, I was no one, no one get offended, okay? I said we, I didn't say you, I said we, okay? I'm the first one like that, okay? To keep our diet the same way intact and think that we're going to get in shape because we did some spiritual exercises is nonsense. You can't fight the good fight of salvation without being filled with the food of life, okay? Like, so some of us, there's, there's kind of, maybe two, we're kind of in two different categories. There's some of us that eat nothing, and our, and our stomachs are completely empty. And we go out there to try to fight on an empty stomach, and you're not going to get very far. Some of us are worse. Some of us go out there, and we fill our stomachs with the bad food, the deadly food. And that's all the stuff that you see going out in the world, and I don't need to explain to you what that is. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, he was on the wilderness. This is, this is Lent, right? We're in the period of Lent right now. We're fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by the devil. We are being tempted by the devil. How did Jesus respond when the devil tempted him? He responded by the word of God to cleanse through the mind. Look what he says here. This is Matthew 4, 4. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The only protection that you have, the only protection that you have against the temptation of the devil is the word of God. And if Jesus himself said that my my armor against the devil's temptations is the word of God. How much more do we need that? Example I've often given is that if you have a bucket of water, okay, imagine a big bucket of water, size of this stage, and it's filled with nasty, putrid, stanky water, like from the gutter water, like sewage water, like straight from the toilet, like the nastiest water. And you say, I need to get this water out. This water is disgusting like the worst imaginable water. And you have a bucket the size of this stage, which that may be symbolic representative of how many of our minds are, filled with filth, internet filth, pornography filled, horrible stuff that we listen to on the news filled, like the stuff we read, the stuff that we consume and our scent, like all that just filthy stuff. And we say, our mind is just filth, 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 the worst thing in the world. How do I get rid of it? If I had a big bucket the size of this stage full of filthy water, and I tried to pick it up and dump it out, how successful would I be? Could I do it? What if I tried really hard? What if I tried really, really, really hard? What if I fasted and prayed and tried really, really, really hard? Would I ever do it? Probably not. How would I feel after trying to do it for a couple days? Exhausted, despair, give up, as many of us feel in our spiritual lives. So what's a smarter way? The engineer in the room would understand there's a smarter way to get rid of all that water and much less effort. Instead of trying to pick up the water and dump it out, I'm gonna take a rock, I'm gonna throw that rock in there. And that water filled to the brim, I put that rock in there, what's gonna happen? A little bit of water is going to jump out. The next day, I'm going to put another rock in there. What's going to happen? A little bit of water. And every day, I'm going to put a rock in. Put a rock in. I'm going to put a rock in. And no matter how nasty that water is, no matter how nasty, no matter how full that your head is with those nasty thoughts, every day, word of God knocks out the bad. The only way to knock out the bad is put in the good. Every day, word of God. I'm committed to the word of God. I read the word of God. I study the word of God. I memorize the word of God. I speak the word of God. Everywhere, the word of God is my life. It's not something that is like a parallel, peripheral part of my life. It is my life. 
And if my life does not have the word of God, my day doesn't have the word of God, then my day is not a valuable day. It's not a good day for me. I don't have the word of God. You know what the word of God is? You know how the word of God changes you? The word of God changes you this way. A river, okay, flowing down on the rocks. A river flowing down on the rocks. Every single day, that river flows down there. You had a rock. I could take a rock, a dirty rock, and I, and I wedge it in there, dirty, nasty rock, and I put it right there in the middle of that stream flowing down from the waterfall, and the river goes over it every day. I bet you if I come back the next day, it's going to look pretty, pretty similar, maybe a little bit different. Next day, probably pretty similar, a little bit different. Next day, maybe a little, similar, a little bit different. But I bet you if I came back a year from now, that rock would be perfect. I bet you if I left it under the stream of clean water, fresh water, I bet you a year from now, that rock would be different. I bet you the same thing for your mind. Our problems were too short-sighted. I, oh, I read the Bible yesterday, Father, and it didn't do anything. Uh, that, that, that's just one rock in the bucket. But keep going and be consistent. Do you want to change your life? Romans 12.2 says the easiest way to change your life is to change your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be changed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In, in, in physical life and in spiritual life, the fastest way to change your life is change your diet. You change your diet physically, guarantee you it's like a new life. You change your diet spiritually, guarantee you it's like a new spiritual life as well. So change number one is we will start with change in our mind. But even though repentance begins in the mind, it does not end there. Change in the mind must lead to change of behavior. The measure of whether or not my mind has been changed is whether or not my behavior has changed. Could you have a true change of mind, not a change of behavior? Well, let me give you an example. Here I am, I stand up here after church finishes, shake some people's hands, meet some people, whatever it is, then I might have me some lunch, okay? And whatever, I have lunch, you know, bag of whatever, you know, my wife packed peanut butter and jelly or whatever, okay? So I'm eating for lunch. Let's say I thought today I won the lottery and I won $10 million. Would that affect what I eat for lunch? Oh, yeah, it would. We're going out and we're not, this isn't Taco Bell, sweetheart. We're going Chipotle today, baby. You kidding me? If I think I won $10 million, first of all, I might not even be standing. You might not even see me. This, like, if I really believe with all my heart that I won $10 million, that's going to change my behavior. It's going to change the way I act. It's definitely going to change what you say to your boss first thing in the morning. Change of mind must lead to change of behavior. And for us to say that my mind has been changed, my mind has been changed, my mind has been changed, but my behavior hasn't, I question whether or not the mind has been changed. If I keep investing in the soil, and I keep putting seed in the soil, putting seed in the soil, put seed in the soil, and I ain't find any fruit, at some point in time I got a question, did I really fix the soil? Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Actually, that's John the Baptist, I'm sorry. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. There needs to be fruit. There needs to be a change in behavior. Now, with that said, let me cut you off right here because I know where your minds are going. If you are inclined to guilt and you're inclined to feel bad, you grew up in the church, and you are, I'm the worst person in the world, you're jumping to what I'm saying. You're saying, see, I knew I never repented. I knew I'm the worst person in the world. Did I say that repent means you will never sin again? I said repent means change your behavior. Does change behavior mean I will never sin again? At times, change of behavior does mean never go back to this sin again. At times. But I can't say that change of behavior means you'll never fall into every sin ever again. What I'm saying, change of behavior, isn't focused on the result, 
as much as it's focused on the process. So I'm not saying change your mind, never go back, never lose your temper ever again. Change your mind, never be judgmental ever again. What I'm saying is I need to fight a new way. I need a new strategy. I need to, you know what, dedicate a time of prayer to this sin and I'm going to pray. My behavior has changed. Before I didn't care. Now I'm fasting and praying for this sin. Before, I didn't care about this relationship, but now I'm saying, you know what? I need to invest in this relationship. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to spend more time here, be more loving, whatever. I may not be perfect as a dad, as a husband, as a son, but you know what? I've changed my behavior. My change of mind led to a change of action. Maybe sometimes it's the opposite. Maybe my change of behavior is I walk away from this relationship. I can't say that I've truly repented and continue to live in this relationship and say, hopefully we won't do sin again. Hopefully we won't fall into the same mistake. No, change of mind needs to be change of behavior. But change of behavior doesn't mean that you will never sin again. Change of behavior is not about the result. It's about your response to the temptation, whether or not you will take it lying down or whether you will get up and fight. Great story in the tradition of the church about a saint that many of us know and love. His name is St. Moses the Strong, one of the favorite saints for so many people. Okay, he was from the land of Ethiopia. And St. Moses started his life as probably the worst person imaginable. He was a bandit, he was a thief, he was a robber, like he was like an incredible Hulk kind of a guy. And he was a bad dude who was out in the middle of nowhere and he just, and he, people walked by, he robbed them, he beat them, he killed them, whatever it was. One day, he repented. Okay, and his story is a beautiful story, but I won't get into all of it right now. He repented. He made a change of mind. And he said, you know what? What I'm doing is not right. I need to make a change. And that change of mind led to a change of behavior. And that change of behavior ended up, he became a monk. And he became in the monastery. And when it first started, he was like Incredible Hulk, and all the monks are like petite little guys, and he's like Incredible Hulk kind of a guy, right? So this was like a, a struggle for him because, you know, he had the temptations. His fleshly lust didn't leave him when he repented. His fleshly lust didn't just disappear, and all of a sudden, he didn't have impure thoughts. All of a sudden, he didn't want to eat food that was not fasting. All of a sudden, he didn't want to love his brother. He still had the fleshly lust inside him. And there's stories that say that one time that St. Moses went to his father of confession I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say 11 times in one night. 11 times in one night. And we do not recommend this with your father of confession here. Okay. But in one night, St. Moses went to his room and he battled thoughts and lusts and passions. And he went to his father of confession. He confessed. And he went back to his room. And again, and 11 times in one night. Because becoming a great saint doesn't mean that he didn't sin again. And one time his father, his spiritual father, wanted to teach him this lesson. So he took him up to the top, like on top of the roof, as the sun was rising early in the morning. Moses was feeling bad, discouraged. I'm never going to win. I'm never going to make a change. And he told him, Moses, look at the sun as it rises and it casts out the darkness. Moses said, okay. And he said this. He said, only slowly do the rays of the sun drive away the night and usher in the new day. Only slowly. And the same with the life of perfection. It's not the life of perfection. The same way the sun comes up slowly and every second becomes a little bit higher. And if you give it enough time, the sun will shine and night will be cast away. It is the same in our own spiritual lives. We have to change our behavior, but not get fooled into thinking that change of behavior means I'm never going to have a sinful thought ever again. So therefore, for this one, what's going to be like the sign? How are we going to practice changing our behavior? I will obey the voice of the Holy Spirit immediately. I will obey the voice of the Holy Spirit, immediately. And let me stress on the word immediately, because parents, we know this, that delayed obedience, delayed obedience is disobedience. 
I will obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. We believe, and you believe, and I believe, that God has given to us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit for us, he's our paraclete. He's our advocate. He's the guy who is like, kind of like Peter in the video in the beginning. He's our personal trainer. Because God loves us so much that he didn't just send down a manual of salvation. He gave us a personal trainer. Because I could give you a book that say, this is how to get in shape. And that may be valuable to some people, but most of us would probably not follow through. But what's better is I come next to you and say, here's what we're going to do. And I'm going to have you do this. And then I'm going to tell you to do this. And don't do that. The Holy Spirit is our personal trainer. And it is his job to be in our life and speak to us the word of God, the truth. I like this verse right here. John 16, 8. It says, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. His job is to convict. Convict doesn't sound very nice, but in our healing kind of metaphor, as a doctor convicts us that you have a disease, he is doing so to heal us, not to make us feel bad, but to bring us to life. Now, when it comes to the voice of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the voice of the Holy Spirit, there's two extremes. Both of them are bad. Extreme number one, Holy Spirit never speaks to me. I never hear his voice. Extreme number two, I hear the Holy Spirit every single day, and I walk around just telling people, God told me this, and 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 God told me to watch football on Sunday, and God told me to tell you to make dinner. Like, There's two extremes. God never speaks to me, and I am the, the second coming, and everything, I know exactly what God wants. Let's deal with these people first right here. Anyone who says God speaks to me all the time, and I know everything God wants, is substituting me for God is basically saying, I know what I want, and I can find a verse to kind of back it up. So therefore, God told me, it's just kind of like I told you, and I'm like, I know a verse about it, so therefore it's like God told you. And these kind of people do not worship God, they worship themselves. These kind of people, it's not a matter of, of God's will, it's a matter of my will, and I just use God to validate it. And I'm telling you, anyone who thinks this is you, I know a lot of verses in the Bible that can be misinterpreted, so we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe on this one, I can convince you that you can take, you know, I've told you this before, you can do anything you want, and I can find you a Bible verse to validate. Did you know that? You find me any sin you want to do, any wickedness you want to do, and I will find you a Bible verse to validate. I can't just say, because I have this verse, God wants me to do this. That's someone who's doing their own will, just using God to validate. But I don't want to go to the other extreme. I don't want to say that God doesn't speak, because clearly, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will speak, he will convict, he will stir stuff up. He will not sit by idly on his hands, no personal trainer, as they see us doing wrong exercises, as they see us going to McDonald's, as they see us ignoring what he told us to do. He will not sit by idly and say, it's okay. Hey, good luck. I'll pray. It's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, that's not a good choice. And then we ignore. So what does he do? Hey, that's not a good choice. And then we ignore. What does he do? He makes rumblings. Okay, you ever been sitting in a sermon and there's rumblings inside you? You ever been reading the Bible and you feel like, oh, here comes the lightning? You ever, you ever, been, you ever met someone, had a rough situation happen, and you say, you know what? This is more than just meets the eye. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, our personal trainer, gets our attention. He convicts us. He doesn't just sit by idly because he loves us. <clears throat> I guarantee you this. If you struggle, you're in this camp. I struggle to hear the voice of God. I guarantee you this. If you are truly seeking revival, if you are truly seeking revival, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will speak to you. I guarantee you. And I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say he's going to speak to you this week. 
I guarantee you. And you say, oh, it's kind of bold. It's not bold. Because I know there's many other verses, and these I'm taking in the right context, okay? It says that when we seek him and search him with all of our heart, we'll find him. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you struggle with this Holy Spirit speaking to me, let me give you a nice verse that we actually read this morning during the liturgy and the gospel. It's from John 10, verse 27. Jesus was speaking in the Good Shepherd passage, and he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Twice, actually, in this chapter, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. Let me give you a, 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 ask you a question. If, I have, if I'm a shepherd, and I have sheep, all right, here's the sheep, they're dumb, I'm the shepherd, I'm smart. It is my job to get the sheep from point A to point B. It is my job to get the sheep from point A to point B. If the sheep do not make it across the river, who is held accountable? I am, because I'm the shepherd. They're the sheep. So therefore, as the shepherd, I will do everything in my power to make sure the sheep, I hold my staff up high so the sheep can see it. And when one sheep can't see it, he starts to stray. I don't just say, his loss. I go after it, and I try to get him. And I say, hey, sheep, sheep, you know, John, you know, sheep, whatever your name is, sheep number 12, okay, whatever it is. I shout, I say, sheep, and then I see him still going. I don't just leave him. I tell the other ones, y'all stay here. And then I run after that sheep, and I dive, and I fight off the wolf because it's my responsibility. And in the end, some sheep, some of us, we will ignore, and we will go run away from the shepherd, but it won't be because the shepherd didn't speak. That's the opposite of how we think life is. We think it's our job as sheep, and the shepherd is like hide and seek, and he's like, here, there. And that's how we think the spiritual life is. Like, it's like, it's like a mystery. You know what I mean? Like, no, I, I saw there was a sign. No, 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 no. Why? It's not hide and seek. Like, he wants, he wants you to hear his voice more than you want to hear his voice. Did you know that? God wants you to hear his voice more than you want to hear his voice. I really want to hear his voice. He really wants me to hear it even more. Because as a parent, I understand this. My kid wants to hear my voice. I want him to hear my voice more than he wants to hear my voice. I guarantee you, if you are seeking revival, he will speak. Don't worry. Let him do his job. Trust he will speak. You focus on the listen. You focus on the obey. The voice of the Holy Spirit, in my, my, the way I think of it, think of a fire inside you. The Holy Spirit is like a fire. There's a fire inside you of the Holy Spirit. When you obey, obedience equals air to the Holy Spirit when he's fired. Obedience is air. What happens if I remove air from fire? The fire dies. So disobedience is removing the air. Holy Spirit says, go and apologize. And I say, no, fire got a little bit smaller. Holy Spirit said, get up and pray. I say, no, fire got a little bit smaller. Holy Spirit says, you're a judgmental person. It's not everyone else's fault. You're judgmental. And I say, no, it's their fault. Fire got a little bit smaller. You know, the opposite is true. Holy Spirit said, you're judgmental. And I say, forgive me, I've sinned. Fire gets a little bit strong. Holy Spirit says, you need to apologize. I say, sorry. Fire gets a little bit strong. And the one who walks around in confidence and knows the will of God is the one who has practiced obeying it. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. It's not hide and seek. It's obedience. Obedience leads to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Repentance. Quick recap. Repentance. Change of mind. And the way I'm going to do that is the word of God. Put the word of God in here, and I'm going to start to see sin a different way. I see sin is no big deal. Sin is deadly. Word of God is going to help me to change my way of thinking. 
change my way of thinking is going to lead to change my way of behaving. doesn't mean I'll never sin again, but it means that I'm going to new strategy, new fight. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to go to do this. I'm going to cut off this relationship. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. I'm going to fight in a new way. I'm not going to take this lying down. Now, when I do that, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to inevitably fall, but that's okay because then the Holy Spirit's going to speak and I'm going to instantly respond. I'm going to respond as he instructs me to respond. Lastly, as we do this process, this cycle of repentance, change of mind, change of behavior, three things to keep in mind. I'm going to go through these super quick because I'm already out of my time. Three things to keep in mind, but this is, these are quick, but these are so important. So please don't, I'm going to go through them quick, but you don't go through them quick as you're kind of going through this inside. Three things to remember. Number one, whatever he does, he does out of love. Whatever he does, he does out of love. Never forget that he's a doctor. A doctor doesn't tell you your sin or your, 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 your disease to make fun of you. He does it to heal you. Whatever he does is out of love. He convicts me of sin out of love. He accuses me of sin out of love. He tells me I'm not the best person out of love. That's super important because sometimes we feel like, no, but God told me we didn't. What's my name last week? God told me I'm proud. God told me I'm judgmental. God hates me. No, 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 no. It's in fact, he loves you. That's why he tells you you're proud. See, he loves you. That's why he tells you you're judgmental or selfish or lustful or whatever it may be. Whatever he does, he does out of love. Proverbs chapter three, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You know and I know that the parent who doesn't discipline his child is a parent who doesn't love his child. The parent who doesn't discipline his child is the one who doesn't love his child. And God, as the expression goes, loves us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Whatever he does, he does out of love. Number two, quickly, the best time to respond is the moment of conviction. The best time to respond is right away, right when you feel the conviction. The more you delay responding to the voice of God, the more you risk hardening of the soil. A car, inside the engine of the car are lots of moving parts. I'll try to dumb this down. Lots of moving parts, and they're usually made of metal. Metal on metal is not good. It creates friction. So it needs what? It needs oil. Sometimes you have little leaks in your car and oil runs out. Let's say you need to have this much oil in your car. Let's say it starts leaking, you have this much oil. That's okay. Okay, it's not the end of the world. Let's say you start leaking, you have this much oil. That's okay, maybe the light comes on now that says, hey, warning, let's take care of this. But you can still drive the car, no problem. Let's say I have this much oil. We're still okay, but we're kinda at a dangerous point. You have this much oil, you're really risking it, but you're okay. Once you lose oil, the engine is dead forever. Forever. You cannot resuscitate an, oil, an engine that is locked up. That's it, you pick it up, you put it in the trash. Understand me correctly here. Our hearts are like that. Not from God's end, from our end. Not saying that God will come to a point where will say, you know what, I don't accept your repentance anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the bottleneck is God's end. I'm saying there's two parts to repentance. I have to repent and then he accepts. I'm saying from his end, acceptance, never ending, infinite. But I'm saying from your end, your ability to go to God and say, I'm sorry, I repent. I want to make a change. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. There comes a point in time where that window of repentance can get narrow, narrow. An example I always think of is Pharaoh. I talked about Pharaoh a couple weeks ago. Man, Pharaoh had heaven and earth telling him, you are wrong. Heaven and earth told him, you are wrong. 
God told him, Moses told him, the river told him, the sky told him, everyone told him. His own son was killed at the prophecy of Moses. Why Pharaoh didn't repent? The other person I think of, when Jesus was crucified on a cross, there was two thieves, one on his left and one on his right. I will think that, that poor, there was one who repented, that guy was good. There was that poor sucker on the other side. And he ridiculed and he mocked Jesus. And I always think to myself, look here, buddy. You're on a cross. Like, you're about to die. Like, you're not like, maybe I'll die someday. Like, you're about to die like in minutes. There had never been any human being, including Jesus, went up on a cross and came down alive. If there's ever a time to say, you know what? Even if I don't believe, like, what do you got to lose? Like, just roll the dice and go with this Jesus guy. Like, at that point in time, you welcome anyone. Couldn't. Why he couldn't repent? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. If God is working in your heart today, do not delay. If he is speaking to you today, he is convicting you today, do not delay. He says, apologize, apologize today. He tells you you're wrong today, you're wrong today. He is telling you you need to make a change, make it today. You do not delay because you do not want to guarantee. There is no guarantee that it will be there tomorrow, that same opportunity. Whatever he does, he does out of love. Time to respond is now, last but not least. God's will won't lead us, but God's grace won't keep us. Remember that. God's will won't lead us, but God's grace won't keep us. Meaning, when God asks us to do something, he never asks us to do something without being fully prepared to give us all the tools we need to do it. And you say, I don't have the tools. But if he asks you to do it, he's going to give you the tools. If I say to my child, I need you to mow the lawn, and I don't give him a lawn mower, I'm a bad father. I'm an unfair father. I cannot ask him to do something. I give him the tools to do it. I can't ask you, say, clear the chairs out of this room unless I give you the key to that closet to put them in. So therefore, if God asks us and he says, I need you to stop this. I need you to start this. I need you to apologize this. I need you to accept this. I need you to forgive this. You say, but I can't, but it's too hard. God's will doesn't lead us where his grace won't keep us. And if he's asking you to do something and you say it's too hard, he'll say, no, it's too hard for you. But do you think it's too hard for me? St. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 9, he had a bad problem, thorn in the flesh. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. It's too much for me, God. It's too much for me. I can't take it. And I'm St. Paul, and I'm a tough guy. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He said to him, I know you can't do it, but I am with you. During this period of Lent, we read the most beautiful gospels in the church during the liturgy. We read about a son, a prodigal son, who was so far away. Who in a million years? That father with the neighbor, with the older brother, who in a million years would say, you know what? I bet you that guy's going to come home. No way. No way. I'll put my money. There's no chance that that guy can ever come back. There's no way. He went too far. He came back. Samaritan woman. Worst woman on the planet. And I came to you and said, you know what? I think she's going to be the first missionary to proclaim the news of Christ. And you say, yeah, missionary, if you mean it. And look, first missionary, the Samaritan woman. There was a man who was sick 
paralyzed man who lie by a pool of water for 38 years. 38 years. Like after 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, 32, 37 and a half years, you say, you know what? You lost your window of opportunity. But I bet you that with God, even after 38 years, this guy can stand up and walk. It once was a man who was born without eyes. And if there's anyone in this world who will never see, not a man with broken eyes, but a man with no eyes, never going to see. My money says, too hard for him to be able to see. But with Jesus in the story, I bet you he can see. Tell me what is too hard for you. Tell me. Come and tell me. Tell me something that God has asked you to do that you say, you know what? It's too hard. And I tell you, that God's will won't lead you where his grace won't keep you. And if he asked you to do it, and you take a step of faith, you trust that he'll get you home. The prodigal son is the best story of repentance. Back to him for a second. Prodigal son, bad place. Started by saying, wait a minute, came to himself. How many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? He started with a change of mind. He said, what am I doing? Why am I living down here with the pigs? Why don't I go back to my father's house and at least just be a servant? I hate what I'm doing. I hate my sin. Started with a change of mind, but it didn't stay with a change of mind. Change of behavior. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to confess. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to say that what I did is wrong. And I'm going to do it now. I'm not going to do it tomorrow because I don't know if it'll be there tomorrow. I'm going to do it now. And he went back to his father. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that he never sinned again. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that he was a perfect child after that. In fact, I would likely bet that he probably made many mistakes. But I'll tell you what did change. I bet you he never looked at sin the same way. I bet you he never looked at his father's house the same again. He realized that this life versus this life, man, there's no comparison. I made a change, and I'm going to change my mind, and I'm going to change my behavior. I may slip and fall, but I'm never going to change from this course. I have a question for you. Just a question for you. Have you come to that same conclusion in your life yet or not? There's two kinds of people in the world. People who like to make the mistakes themselves or people who learn from the mistakes of others. I'm going to ask you that question. Have you figured this out yourself or not? Have you figured out that a life of sin, like are you still in the sin is fun and sin is okay and let's have a good time? Or have you figured this out that the prodigal son figured out? Sin equals death. Life of sin equals life of death. Not life of death, just death, okay? Life of sin equals death, equals misery, equals destruction. And life of change is really life, is blessing, is joy. Have you figured this out? Or you want to go through the steps yourself? I'm telling you the smart people, take my word for it. Don't take my word. Take the prodigal son's word. But either way, you're going to make the discovery one day. It's just a matter of whether you do it the easy way or the hard way. Last verse, Acts 3, verse 19. 19 and 20, not 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what we're doing here in this series. We're trying to get to that refreshing. Repent, convert, that your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing. I am praying super-duper hard during this series. And I am praying for myself, but I am praying for you. Each and every single person here, I am praying for you. And I am praying that God would use this as a time of revival. That God would revive those, those, those hard hearts. And that God would help us to see the change that is needed. That we could not, not for my sake, not for God's sake, but so that you can have that refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the depth of our heart. 
We thank you, Lord, that you give us a roadway, a pathway to change, to repent, and to live in times of refreshing again. Lord, so many of us, our souls are mired in sin, drugged down in, 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 in the, the dregs of our sinful decisions. And we know they're wrong, but we somehow deep inside, we're not really convinced that we can change. But I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen the weak of heart, those who are kind of faint-hearted right now and not really believing they can make a change. I pray that you would convict them, that you would give them courage, give them strength, Lord, to make the change like the prodigal son did. And to trust, Lord, that you, trust that you will take care of everything, Lord, because your grace will always carry us when we walk towards you. Pray, Lord, for a revival for our church, revival for every member, revival for every heart, Lord, that is here now and that is, is in need of your presence. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you.